Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. So today's episode 134 of the jimmystable.com podcast, in which I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down and talk to Joshua Opperman about a book he wrote called God is Not on Our Side. Uh, Joshua Opperman is a physician assistant in community health practice. He earned his bachelor's degree from Point Loma Lazarene University and a master's degree in Western University of Health and Sciences. He has served both locally and globally as a lay minister in various capacity, including medical missions, worship, and teaching. Uh, Opperman and his wife, Marlene, have two children, and they live in California. Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jimmy. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, it's very exciting for me. First time I've ever had an author on the jimmystable.com podcast. Um, and for anybody who's interested, you can go to godisnotonyourside.com if you wish to reach out to Josh. Uh, but Josh, you wrote this book, and I kind of, you know, when I came across this book, uh, you kind of pitched me the idea and... Um, I normally turn down the, the pitches that people have uh, to come on my podcast. I've had a few of them, but um, yours really intrigued me. Just the God is not on our side, because that's kind of almost a uh, slap in the face to kind of conventional wisdom that we have with um, the idea that God is on our side. And In fact, we seem to, to kind of culturally, especially in, our, in the church, operate on the assumption, um, and historically speaking, that no matter what we're doing, God's got our back. And your book is kind of a, uh, actually the opposite take, saying, well, maybe God's not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the idea of the book really is to hopefully um, cause someone just to at least stop and think. <laughs> Say, wait a second. And, um, uh, and I think, especially when I was in the process of writing the book, um, when I would, people would ask me, uh, you know, what's, what's the title of your book? And I say, oh, God is not on your side. And, you know, consistently I got the same reaction, just kind of people would stop for a second and look at me, you know, kind of with this funny look on my face, like, is that really the title of your book? All right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, and it was funny. Um, there was a time where I absolutely considered, um, as like, you know, there's no way I could actually publish a book with this title. But then what was really interesting was the more I wrestled with that title, the more I realized that was really, uh, it was in wrestling with the title that I realized that was how it needed to be. That was the title for the book. Very good. And really, that's what I want other people to do. My heart as well is for people to wrestle with it a little bit. Yeah. And, and you tell your story in your book, because I, I read through your book that, you know, it's kind of a very kind of introspective sort of book. You talk about your own heart and essentially ask your readers to kind of look inside just like you did um, and, you know, find out whether or not God is really on our side, or better yet, you ask a question in your book, um, you know, am I on God's side? Yeah, 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 no, one of the things uh, recently I, I, I posted on Twitter was I said, you know, God loves us, um, God knows what's best for us, but he's not on our side, and and we, we have a tendency to confuse that sometimes, and, um, and uh, so when I started working on this project, 
Um, it was really uh, just me journaling. So I was writing down lessons that God was showing me. So God was speaking into my life. I uh, I went through a period in my life um, of um, what I called a, a spiritual crisis at the time. Uh, now I think a lot of people, I actually identify with the term deconstruction that a lot of people use okay. now. Um, because it was kind of, for me, that's what it was. I went through a period where I had grown up in the church. Um, I knew um, what it looked like to be a Christian. I thought I was a Christian. And then one day I realized I was actually very far away, far from God. And and so God opened my eyes. And I and so I went through this process of just writing down what God was teaching me. And um, I never really intended to write a book. But then um, one day I actually heard a, uh, uh, it was actually on the computer. I saw an advertisement for a new, uh, worship, I don't think it's considered a worship song, but a new Christian song. And the song was called on my side. And so I saw this ad pop up on my computer, uh, for this song on my side. And I just had this very, just almost instantaneous reaction to that. I said, wait a second, God's not on my side. Mm. And, and I reflected, I spent days just reflecting on that and going through the scriptures and, and I realized that a lot of the things that God had been teaching me, there was this underlying issue that I had held on to for a really long time in my life. This idea that I believed it was a foundational idea that, that God was on my side. And so then I started digging into the scripture and said, okay, wait a second, what did the scripture actually say about this? And, um, and then looking back at the different lessons that God had been teaching me over, you know, over the past years, the things that I'd been writing down and whatnot. And I saw this, this connection there and, um, and so it's it's been an interesting process. Um, uh, the truth is, to write up to write the book, especially once I felt like God was calling me to write the book, um, I knew that I had to be vulnerable and I had to be honest. Like you, you can't write a book called God is Not on Your Side <laughs> and not first, you know, come come at at the project with vulnerability and honesty. Like I have to be the one to demonstrate that I've done the work and and let God search my heart and God is still working on my heart. You know, and that's one of the things I actually share in the very beginning of the book. You know, this this book is is um, it's been a, a part of the process of God working in my life, and I believe as God has worked out this word in my life that He's given me a word to share with others. But at the same time, I'm still on that journey. You know, it's it's this process, and and so for me, the book is really an invitation um, to to other people to just join me on the journey to 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 a journey of introspection, a journey of. Uh, um, just kind of examining a lot of things um, that that um, I really thought were true for a very long time. You know, growing up in the church, a lot of things I believed, and then more and more I look in the scriptures, you start to start to wonder and say, "Okay, let let God show you what His Word teaches you." What Why do you think a lot of people like operate under the default assumption that whatever they're doing, God's got their back and God's on their side? What What do you think kind yeah. of makes us? get into that sort of mindset. Yeah, yeah. I, I really think there's a, a lot more cultural. I, I think I think we don't um, give culture enough credit in, in this in this regard. We live in a very self, self-centered culture. Um, and um, we, uh, goodness, I, I, I can tell you, I think I can tell you a little bit of a story to kind of illustrate this, especially when I started thinking about it initially. Um, I remember on one of on my first missions project, actually, that I went on, um, once I started to get to know people well enough um, that I could have casual conversations you know, with them, um, I remember sitting down with a brother from the church, um, 
and uh, we were, this was um, out in a project in West Africa. And I was sitting down with a brother from the church, and he started telling me the history of his country. And one of the things I realized is that growing up here in the United States, um, I had always, the, the history I had always been taught was one of, basically, we always win. Right. Um, you know, like like America always comes out on top. Like we're always victorious. We're always winners. And and um, and so I had actually I started to kind of reflect on that. I was like, what what would my worldview be if I grew up in a country where they didn't always win? You know, like where, where there <laughs> wasn't the same. It wasn't it wasn't America, you know, just some other country somewhere else that has a different story, a different history, right. maybe of war, maybe of suffering, maybe of other things. Um, how would that change my perspective, uh, how I see the world? And, and um, it's funny, you know, you look at uh, American media, you look at movies, you know, the, the hero always wins at the end of the day because he looks into his own heart and finds that he has the strength to overcome. And, you know, this, we're in a very self-centered, like self-made culture. And so I think that just bleeds into the church, you know, mm. and, um, and, and, and as Christians, we just have to be aware that that this is the culture we live within, and, and we always have to come back to the Word of God and say, "Okay, wait a second. You know, this is a culture, or this is a message that the culture teaches us. You know, so that God is on my side, or that you know the world revolves around me. Um, um, but what does the Bible teach? You know, what does the Bible say? Because that really is what we always have to come back to." And, and we just have to be careful because I think in any culture, you're going to see that that same issue occurring, you know, whether whether it's here in the United States or, or another country. Um, there's always going to be these cultural influences that just kind of, you know, again, this is it's the world we live in. Right. Yeah. It, it's it's like one of those things like the old uh, saying about a fish uh, doesn't know it's not wet. It's it's like that's just the, the the culture that you're in. You're swimming in it and you don't even know you're wet. Um, and I, I guess I could definitely see that, especially you know, this this kind of underlying theme that we've always had and as, as Americans, as Christians in America, you know, from the very founding, you know, the, 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 the pilgrims came over here from England, you know, believing that they were going to uh, reform the Church of England from afar and that they were going to set an example and be that shining city on a hill and that they were going to show them back in England how it was really done. Um, and they believed that God had blessed their efforts and that they were doing their best. And, you know, they were forming this very Christian society in some areas of America. And so it was just assumed that, yeah, God's got our back. And, and what we're doing is, 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 is a God thing. And, and I think there was a lot of good intentions there, but it kind of just like sunk into the rest of culture. And now, you know, it's in the national hymns. It's, it's on our currency. It's, it's in our, you know, it's, it's in everything that it is to be an American that we just assume that somehow God's entangled in our country in a very special and favored way. Um, and not only in our country, but our favorite political party, too, whether it's, you know, the Republicans or the Democrats or whoever. We just believe that, yeah, God's God's a Republican. God's a Democrat and God loves America. God blesses the USA. Um, and it just it's just part of our na uh, national ethos. Um, and it's something that we don't ever doubt. But, you know, maybe as you say that maybe God's not necessarily on the side of America. Maybe God's not on the side of Obama or Trump or wh whoever our political uh, flavor of the, the month is. Yeah. Yeah, no, something, a, a conversation I come come back to very often with friends is, uh, you know, when we get to heaven, 
there are going to be no Democrats, Republicans, American, whatever. You know, we're we're all just going to be in Christ. Right. That's it. The body of Christ there. And and so it's it's always interesting to me um, how people um, really lean into those definitions um, uh, or those identities, you know, as opposed to our identity in Christ primarily. Yeah, you, t- you tell an interesting story in your book about, I believe it was your grandmother uh, quietly mentioning that she voted for President Obama. And that's like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, um, yeah, yeah. Th- that reminds me of a story when I was in Bible college. One of like I'm going to a very conservative Pentecostal Bible college, and it's just assumed almost everybody there votes Republican. And one of these students was talking about in class one day during a lecture uh, back and forth between the pro- prof- with the professor. She's like, Oh, Professor Sloop, I'm a Democrat. Like, and that, the 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 horror that overcame the room in that moment—that you know, you could be a Christian at a conservative Pentecostal Bible college in like you know Tennessee and confess to being a Democrat—and that just that rocked everybody's boat because this woman was a good, godly Christian woman, and we just yeah. didn't understand yeah. how how could you possibly vote for you know, Obama or Clinton or, you know, any, how could you possibly vote anything but straight ticket Republican? Yeah, no. And I, I had that same experience. That's why I put that in my book, because, um, for me, that was actually a very formative, formative moment. Um, I, um, was at a place in my life. So my, my grandmother loved the Lord. Um, and she, uh, served him sacrificially. Um, she actually, um, for the second half of her life, um, he called her to serve in missions. So she served in Mexico and, and uh, grew tremendously in her faith and had just a wonderful, um, genuine relationship with God. I actually have two full boxes in my garage of journals. So what she would do is she would get up every morning and spend about an hour just praying and writing mm. and just talking with God. She would write out her prayers. She would pray for um, her kids, her grandkids, you know, all these, and, and just, she had this intimate relationship with God. And, um, I am so blessed that, that I have all of those writings and I love sitting down and going through them. She, but she had just this intimate relationship with Jesus. And I was at this place in my life where I was, I had just given my life completely to God. And so I was just, even though I had grown up in the church, um, I, I was just understanding what it meant to serve God with all my heart, to seek him with all my heart. So I was on this new journey and, um, I started going out with her once a week and we would just go out to dinner and talk. And I started to realize that I connected with her a lot because as I was trying to grow in my relationship with Jesus, I found somebody, this family member of mine who had that intimate relationship with Jesus that I wanted. So, so that's where I was <laughs> when, you know, I'm, and so I'm just enjoying these times with grandma. We're sitting, we talk about the Lord. I, I share what God's speaking into my life, how I'm growing, you know, how I've been able to share him with others, you know, and how I've seen God work and she does the same. And then just like out of the blue, like casually in our conversation one day, she mentions that she voted for Obama. And, and it was really funny because that question would have never crossed my mind. We never <laughs> spent any time talking about politics. And she didn't like, she just mentioned it. Like it was just a passing thing. You know, I think like there was a, I don't know, she, she just, it was maybe in the news or something. And, and so it was so funny. Like you said, it was shocking to me <laughs> because in my mind, all, all Christians are Republicans or whatever, right. Right? like in that moment and where I was at my life at that time. And, and so I actually remember specifically sitting there for the next few minutes, trying to figure out how I could then 
redirect the conversation to politics and try to convince grandma that she shouldn't have voted for Obama. I mean, I really did. I like right. sat there for, for a few minutes, like with that going through my head thinking, okay, how can I do this? How can I do this? And, and then all of a sudden it dawned on me. It was funny. Like, um, she, the conversation just kept going and, and eventually we were just, like I said, it was a passing thing. It, that was not the point of the conversation. And so we were within a couple minutes, we we're just talking about the Lord again, talking about Jesus. And then it just kind of dawned on me. It's like, why on earth <laughs> would I, would I even want to take this beautiful conversation with this woman who loves the Lord and, and then redirected towards politics. Like, <laughs> and, and so it was really interesting. And the Lord really convicted me of that. Like I reflected on it for a long time and, and you just realize it's like, wow, you know, politics have become something that we put so much value in and, and, and shouldn't we really be doing that? You know? Right. Yeah. It, it's one of those things. And I've, I've uh, a frequent guest on this podcast, his name is John Howie. Um, and he's from Canada and lives in the Alberta area. And, you know, it's interesting talking to him because he's a dedicated Christian, loves the Lord, been involved with worship, you know, has his own podcast in which he talks about spiritual things over at uh, um, Wax Museum and ADD Masterminds, a second podcast he has. And But, you know, if you start talking political issues with him, um, you'll find out that he's pretty conservative for Canada, but pretty conservative for Canada means being pretty much as left as Bernie Sanders um, by, by default. And, and, and it's, it's like, you know, and so, you know, you're going to find him that he, well, you know, maybe isn't 100% on the entire capitalist dream of, of America and, and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, he's a very interesting cat to talk to because he clearly loves the Lord. Um, but, you know, if, if he were to transport into America and, and become a citizen here and vote here, he'd probably vote for Joe Biden and, and Bernie Sanders 90% of the time. I, I'm just guessing. And, and, but he loves the Lord. And, and I think that's uh, one thing that kind of comes as a shock is, um, especially if we get over our little Christian American bubbles that we live in, um, a bubble I'm sure you've probably had burst a time or two living in California, uh, to say the least. Um, we don't yeah. usually think of California as a bastion of uh, Christianity. Um, and, but, you know, you can be a perfectly good Democrat socialist living in California or Canada and also love Jesus. Um, that's, that's wild to some people. But I think it's because we get so ingrained to this idea that God is on our side. God favors our political party. Um, but I, I think you had an interesting example um, from your book about um, Joshua and his conquest of Canaan and an angelic uh, counter in which, you know, Joshua, prophet of God, leader of God's army, you know, has this encounter uh, with an angel and he learned something different. You, can you expand on that? Yeah, yeah. No, and, and I think I think that's, you know, just talking about this topic, um, I really believe the reason why God put it on my heart to write the book and, and why the God continues to work um, in my life in this area is because um, God wants to bring us to a place of humility. Um, and, uh, and if we can approach all of these topics, so if we are talking about whether it's politics or things from a place of humility, um, an understanding of who we are, an understanding of who God is, um, it would completely change the conversation. And the the story of Joshua um, in the Bible is is the example that I lean on in the book. And um, and the reason why I do that is because it really is, um, as far as I'm aware, I think it's the only example we have in the scriptures of a human being um, asking a messenger of God, um, are you on my side? Basically, like directly asking. 
And what's really interesting is in that story, I think it's in Joshua 5, um, but in that story where Joshua encounters an angel of God, um, I was reflecting recently on um, uh, why we don't have other examples of that. And I think, you know, if we think about it, you know, when people encounter angels in the Bible, oftentimes they are just in awe, you know, so it would, it would actually be completely bizarre, you know, what, in most of the encounters we read in the scriptures where someone's confronted with an angel and encounter an angel for them to ask a question like that, because in reality, they are just in awe. They, they see the magnificence and power of God in this messenger of God. And so they're in awe. And, and, um, and I was reflecting on that recently on how important it is that we have that perspective when we're, in terms of how we see ourselves and how we see God. And Joshua did, but then he didn't know this person that he was interacting with, initially at least, was an angel. So Joshua was tasked um, with leading, as you said, the Israelites to conquer um, Jericho, and he was out scouting out the land. So he was out uh, near the city of Jericho, and he encounters this individual, um, and he doesn't know who they are, and he asks, are you for us, or are you for our enemies? So again, essentially kind of a very direct question, are you on our side? What's really interesting is when I read that story, I think, well, goodness, God had called Joshua to lead Israel to over uh, to to take over um, Jericho, to defeat Jericho, and so the logical answer, in my opinion, would have been for the angel to say, "I am on your side," right? I mean, to right. me, that seems seems reasonable. Sure. But instead, the angel, um, who again at that moment Joshua didn't know it was an angel. But uh, the angel says no. The answer he says, the first word he says is no. So, or essentially <laughs> neither. <laughs> so I'm not on your side. I'm not on the side of your enemies. Um, so then it just, you, the, you know, the, the obvious question is, well, whose side is he on? Well, he's, he's on God's side. Hmm. And, and what's really amazing is when, uh, and, and the, the full answer the angel gives is, you know, no, but as a messenger of the Lord, I have now come, I think is what, what the phrase is that he uses there. But then in that moment, when Joshua realizes that this is a messenger from the Lord, he falls prostrate. And, and again, what's really interesting about that is, um, is Joshua, it becomes very obvious why God chose Joshua to be the, the leader of Israel, because he had this awe, this reverence for God that, that I think a lot of us have lost, you know, because um, I know for myself, a long time walking, living, uh, growing up in the church. Um, I, uh, and, and again, this is, our culture tends to do this too. We, we kind of tend to treat God very casually, right? Like God, God is our buddy. God is our friend. Um, what's the, um, uh, there's the hippie Jesus thing you know, for a little <laughs> while. You have the, <laughs> those people going around with shirts with hippie Jesus on them. And, and, and it's interesting because, um, it, it's easy for us to lose, uh, this awe and reverence and fear of God. But Joshua had that. So in the moment that this angel actually, you know, introduces, uh, presented who he was, Joshua fell down prostrate, uh, prostrate before him, and and the angel gave him the craziest instructions. <laughs> it's so funny. We know we know how the story ends. So I think sometimes we read these stories and we forget uh, just to kind of look at it, try to look at it from Joshua's perspective. Because then the angel goes on to tell him, "Here's how you're going to defeat Jericho." Right. Right. <laughs> and and Joshua's a military. Uh, strategist, you know, this is a mil he's a military person. I'm sure he had a whole bunch of plans in place already. He probably already was figuring out how he was going to attack Jericho. So then to have this messenger from God come and tell him, march around the city every day um, uh, for, for seven days, you know, and then the seven days go around seven times and blow the trumpets, 
Um, I mean, that's not a military strategy at all. Right. <laughs> and, so, and so that's completely out of left field. And and um, and again, you know, if I put myself in the shoes of Joshua, I know I just would have been completely confused. I'd have been like, okay, wait a second. Hold on. That doesn't make any sense. Um, but we see Joshua just, again, in his reverence for the, for God, he just obeys. He's just obedient. And what an, what an incredible leader and what an incredible challenge for us as followers of Jesus. And then you see, again, we know how the story ends. But, um, but, uh, but that story is so interesting because, because like I said, um, uh, it, it really, as far as the, the themes of, of my book and, and reflecting on this idea is God on our side, I think it's a good example of that. Um, and a good thing for us to reflect on. Yeah, you say in your book, I'm no longer expecting God to be on my side. I am seeking to be on his side. And I think that's a great distinction because we often just get this runaway idea that, like you say, that in our culture, that God's just on our side. But, you know, you, sh- you see in this encounter with uh, Joshua and the angel that, you know, it's it's the angel's not on either side. He's just on God's side and what God is doing. So what does it look like for us as, as Christians to have, um, not not for God to be on our side, but for us to be on the side of God? What does that look like practically? Yeah, yeah. yeah. so I can tell you, um, um, growing up in the church, uh, I, I looked like the perfect Christian, like on the outside, right? So um, I was that clean-cut kid growing up in the church who... Uh, it seemed like kind of had it all together. I was, you know, uh, got good grades in school, um, was always on the leadership committees for things. Um, and uh, I was just kind of that clean cut, good kid. I never did drugs, you know, never, never did any of that other stuff. And um, prayed to receive Christ multiple times, you know, at, at family camp and all that kind of stuff when I was growing up. But um, what's really interesting, when I reflect back, you know, when I, when I take time and, and think back, um, I... Um, was trying to follow God, but I was trying to do it my way. Mm. So, so what was interesting was um, I had this faith where I would say, like in a scenario, I'd say, okay, well, I want to serve God, but I don't want it to cost me anything. Mm. Or, or if if I felt like God was calling me to speak to somebody, uh, maybe to share with share the gospel with somebody, or to share the love of Christ with somebody, if it made me uncomfortable, I'd always step out. I'd say, no way, God doesn't want me to be uncomfortable. Um, or God doesn't want me to sacrifice. Um, and, and so I was always approaching my relationship with God with these pretexts, like that it, that it should be logical, it should be reasonable, um, that, um, that, uh, that God would never call me to do anything that requires sacrifice. Right. And, and um, unfortunately then, like I said, well, what was interesting was I could live um, my life in this culture and in, in the American church that way, and people would think that I'm a strong follower of Jesus. As long as I show up at church on Sunday, I'm a pretty <laughs> nice guy. Right. You know, I, I'm clean cut. I help in my community. You know, do some basic stuff. People would say, "Yeah, that guy's a strong Christian," but but in reality, that wasn't the case. Mm. And and I, and I had to be honest enough with myself um, to 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 say, "Okay, God, um, show me, show me where I've gotten this wrong." And and that's actually what happened. So so I, I shared this at the beginning of the interview for. To write this book, I had to come to a place of humility, and and that's what prompted all of this in the beginning. I um, basically God 
brought me to a place in my life where I realized that I was far from him and it was because of my own decisions. Mm. And the crazy thing was it was because of my own decisions in, and I was, but I was making those decisions in the church. So I was attending church, getting counsel from pastors, all these. And in spite of that, I still was on the wrong path. Mm. And, and it was because it was the path I wanted. And right. it wasn't, I hadn't, I hadn't approached God saying that I wanted his will and nothing else. And so basically when I saw that my life was just a mess. I, I when I saw that I wasn't um, walking, it, it, I, it really broke me because, like I said, I was really confused at first because I'm like, I've been in church, I'm I'm doing all the right things, I'm a Christian, right? Like, right. This is, how how is how did this happen? How did I get it so wrong? And and it really just broke me. Like I said, that's why I identify a lot when people use the term deconstruction because um, back then I called it a crisis of faith. But I <laughs> I can definitely see that, but. Um, the one thing I knew in that moment, like even when I when I was struggling in that time, the one thing I knew was that God is real. I was I was sure of that, and I think that was a good place for me to start. And and then, and I just but I had to surrender everything. I said, God, clearly I've messed up, and I repented of my sins. And I said, and I just told God, I trust you with everything. I will go where you want me to go. I'm going to do what you want me to do. The thing I was holding on to as an idol at that time, and this is my testimony, like I said, because you know everyone, everyone's story is different, right? Right. But my idol was marriage, believe mm. it or not. Interesting. So I, I wanted to be married. Um, so again, I, I had crafted the perfect life for myself. So I'm going to get back to the American dream, right? Sure. So I grew up, um, uh, went to school, went to college, went to graduate school, had a good career ahead of me. I was in my last year of graduate school, and I wanted to be married. That was the, to finish the picture, right? So like in the church, <laughs> right. everybody in church always was like, yeah, when are you going to get married? And they're trying to hook me up with their daughters and whatever, you know, like, oh, I know a girl, you know, get, and, and, and marriage actually was an idol. And I had not realized that. And so I had made marriage so much of an idol that I told God I would serve him, but I'm going to do this first. Hmm. You know, I'm going to go find a wife. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have this family because I want to look this way. Um, and then, but I'll, I'll give you the rest, right. you know, and, and, and then again, unfortunately, um, that, uh, like I said, it, it fell apart. Everything fell apart. And, and in my brokenness, I just told God, I said, God, I'm, I, like I said, I, first I repented, but then I told God, I said, I, I will give you everything. I give you all my life. I'm not holding anything back. And wherever you want me to go, I'm going to go. What you want me to do, I want you to do. And, and I even told God, I was in my last year of PA school. I told him, if you want me to not be a PA, I will step, I'll step out of this. Um, I gave him everything. Mm. And, and, um, and then I said, and same, you know, even recognizing that, that um, wanting to be married had been an idol of mine. Um, I, I said, I, I will be single the rest of my life. If right. that's what, if that's your will, I'm going to get, I'm going to give you everything. Right. And, and, um, from there, once I did that, once I surrendered everything, there were no pretext. There was no, like, um, I was, you know, I, I need financial security first. I need this first. I need this first, you know, like plan when, when you strip all that away and I say, God, I just want to serve you. That was when. I was actually able to finally start to see God work in my life and and move in my life and use me for the glory of his name. Um, but uh, it's 
it's um, it's been an interesting journey. <laughs> yeah, it's, sure. it's it's interesting you mention that because I, I I've talked about this previously on the podcast a long time ago, but you know, we have this sort of focus on the family sort of aspect of church. I mean, we even have a ministry called Focus on the Family um, with James Dobson. And, you know, there's good things in that. Um, however, I, I've noticed even as I was driving around Charlotte today looking for a place maybe to buy a house, um, that I, I ran across some churches that had signs on their placards like, this is a family church and family's great, marriage is great, God blesses it, all that sort of stuff. But I mean, if you were, if we were to really be honest about what the scriptures teach, scriptures never hold up marriage and uh, 3.2 children and a dog named Spot and a white picket fence as the the ideal. I mean, Paul actually says singleness is the ideal of of Christian living, and you know, marriage is great if you must be married, fine, be married. But um, but you know, he really holds up. Be like I am. Be single. Be a bachelor. And but. You would never hear that in, in, in most Christian circles because we've, like you kind of talk about, have adopted this cultural fascination and perspective with marriage. And even for as much um, of a joke that marriage can sometimes be in our culture um, at times and people just say, oh, well, you know, half of all marriage is in divorce and, you know, marriage is an outdated institution. You get things like that, but there's still this side of, kind of idolization of of marriage. Um, you had TV shows like How I Met Your Mother, where Ted Mosby runs around for nine seasons trying to figure out who he's going to marry and recounting the story to his children of how he met their mother. And, and you have all these idols of, of, of relationship and marriage and family and our culture. And we just assume, yeah, God wants me to be married to a sm uh, hot smoking wife, have the kids, have the house in the suburbs, have a great career. God wants me to be prosperous and it's kind of like, well, you know, that sounds all great and good, and there's a lot, maybe even some good in that, but, you know, it. I don't think that God kind of buys our views of the the idolization of the family and our views of wealth and what it looks like to be successful in America as as necessarily being the Christian ideal, yet it seems like in, in many ways that's kind of where we are as the church. We kind of reinforce that that notion that God loves America and God wants me to have a, 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 a perfect little family and do well financially. And yeah. God's not really on that. No, you know, what's really interesting. I think as people, um, I think we tend towards um, formulas. We, right. we like, we like to be given mm. steps. We like to be given clearance. It's okay. So here's how you get to where you need to go. Um, and, and that translates into our religion as well. It's like, so how do you be saved? You check this box, you check this box, right. you check this box. You look this way, you act this way. And what's so interesting is when we start to make, um, we start to lean on that too much. Um, we put, we end up putting God into a box, you know? And, and, and so like you said, uh, we end up idolizing, uh, the, the, you know, image of a family that we've created when in reality, the body of Christ is, be, is supposed to be so much more diverse than that. Um, uh, the body of Christ is supposed to be, you know, single people and families and people who, um, uh, you know, whatever, the, the, my goodness, you know, so uh, whether it's widows and, uh, uh, um, yeah, just basically the whole diversity that right. we would see within the body of Christ, just operating as a family, as the body of Christ together. Um, but for some reason, we we like we like formulas. We like things to <laughs> to you know we like to uh, to have steps to get to where we need to go. 
Um, and um, I actually talk about that in, in the in the book a little bit. Like one of the things that I struggled with for a long time was uh, this the passage of scripture where Jesus, uh, it's in Matthew, where Jesus says that he who does the will of my father will enter the kingdom of heaven. And for a long time, I, I struggled with that passage because I said, well, what's the will of God? <laughs> like, where's the box that I have to check? Right. You know, like what, what's, what is it? What am I? Is, and, and when you realize is that, that um, God, again, I'm, I'm looking for a formula. Right. But, but God has something so much bigger that he wants to do. He wants to do something in my life that doesn't fit into a formula. Mm. And, and so what, so I'm going to go back to the story of, um, um, right after I gave my life completely to Christ, because, um, I talked about how in Joshua, when Joshua, when the angel gave him those instructions, they didn't make any sense. Right. Right. And it's like, so for me, when I gave my life completely to God and I said, God, I, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop trying to control my life. I'm going to stop trying to direct things. I'm going to trust you with everything. Um, three months later, I was arriving, um, in West Africa to help out a missions team. Um, there is no way that I could have planned that, coordinated it. Um, it was, it was unbelievable. And it made no sense. Um, uh, there was, uh, it's actually a long, a long story about how I ended up there, but it was just completely the Lord. It was, it was basically God answering my prayer. When I said, I will do whatever you want to do, want me to do. Um, that was where he sent me. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and it was crazy. Um, I, I landed, um, I, it was there. I met um, a group of people for the first time. I didn't know anybody in that group beforehand. Um, and I was going to a country that I'd never been to before, that I knew nothing about. Um, and um, and it was so funny because I actually, in preparation for for going, I actually stopped asking people for advice because, um, mm. like I said, I had said this prayer where I said, "God, use me. I'm just I'm just gonna I'm gonna be obedient. I'm gonna follow you." And and then God starts leading me this direction. <laughs> and, and I, and I know it doesn't make sense because I'm, I'm just finishing my PA program. I have to study for my board exams and all that. So I talked to my professors and they're like, yeah, you, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Don't, don't go, go on that project. You know, that's, you're, you're gonna, you're never going to get boarded. You're never, you know, you're never going to finish. You're never going to be able to start your career in the United States. And, and I talked to one of my Christian classmates and it was the same thing. Um, you know, he's like, wow, that's, that's great that God's calling you, but yeah, don't, don't do that. (laughs) And, and so it's really funny because I had to then struggle with this. It's like, okay, do I trust God enough to trust him with my career, to trust him with my life even? Cause I was going to a place where I really didn't know, um, you know, as far as politics and country and all this, you know, like a whole, whole new culture, um, do I trust him that much? And, and, and that was, I had to really just, you know, ask myself that it was a real, it was a real test. And, and so by the grace of God, I went in faith. And, and then, like I said, it was once I could finally let go of the formulas and and all of that, that, that I started to see God working. I had the same thing happen when, when, um, we started our first project, uh, when I took another team out, uh, a short-term missions team, um, my first time coordinating a project, I had no clue what I was doing. I was completely inexperienced. But again, I felt God calling me to do this. Right. And and I remember talking with the missions president in our church, and and I was like, okay, you know, here's the situation. I was like, I, God is really putting this on my heart. I know He's confirmed it already. We've seen God working, and I know that, that this is where it's going. 
Um, and, and so I just wanted, I, he was the mission's president. So I wanted just to get some advice, you know, and, and try to have somebody to help me kind of on the journey of trying to take this team out for a medical missions project out in Africa. And it was so funny. He, he listens to my heart and, and everything. And then he says, he's like, wow, that's amazing what God's you know doing. He says, but are you sure he's calling you to Africa? Mm. And I was like, well, why do you ask? And he says, well, it's just so far. I was, like, I was like, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> you know it's like, and, he, and he says, but he's like, why wouldn't God just maybe call you to Mexico or, you know, someplace closer? Uh, it would cost less. And, and he started and he started going through all of the reasons why it was much more logical for me to do something else. Right. And it's like and and how often in my life have I done that? You know, in, in my relationship with God, when God calls me to something that on the surface doesn't seem to make sense. You know, how often have I just relied on my logic and said, wait a second, you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense. God wouldn't want me to sacrifice that or God wouldn't do this. And and when in reality, God wants to do something so much bigger. He wants us to trust him so that in the process, he can show himself faithful and powerful and able to do something that really is illogical and completely, you know, even, you know, illogical on the surface. Like I said, Going back to the story of Joshua and the, and and Jericho, that made no sense. Right. <laughs> that whole thing made no sense. The walls came tumbling down. We sing about it, and it's like you kind of like it's it's funny to sing the song, and I've heard the story so many times. It almost feels like like it made sense, but no, it didn't make any sense at all. But that's what's so beautiful about it. God called Joshua um, and the people of Israel to step out in faith in a way that was completely outside of the box. That was completely different. Um, and trust him with everything, put everything on the line. Uh, and then in that, he was able to work and show himself mighty and powerful. And, and, and that's, that's the thing. When we, when we approach God saying you know, that God is on my side, so if we approach our relationship with him from that perspective, and again, this is what I did for 25 years of my life, um, then what we're doing is we're limiting the power of God moving in our life. Mm. So, so we end up, you end up with a, a, a Christianity that's very formulaic. It's very religious. It looks okay, but the power of God is absent from it. Mm. You know, we, we, again, we approach God and, and our relationship with him from this area of logic and reason and say, well, God wouldn't want me to sacrifice that. God wouldn't call me to do that. And it's like, and then, but then at the end of the day, all that's happening is we're just living a life without the power of the Holy Spirit moving in our midst. And that is what we need now more than anything. Right. I think, I think especially when we talk about our culture and what's going on in the United States of America, what the church in America needs is the power of God moving in our midst as individuals and also corporately as the church. Um, but we've got it, we've got to we've got to move away from this concept that he's on our side and we've got to seek with all of our heart to be on his side and, and then be obedient. I, I like that because I feel like if I almost, if if I'm seeking God to be on my side, then in some way I'm almost kind of limiting God's involvement in my life um, because he's going to be limited to, you know, those check boxes, like you say, um, just those things. But if, if I boldly and in, in faith, you know, pray God, like, I just want to be on your side. I surrender to whatever your will is. That's when the opportunity for something truly amazing 
happens. And I, and I think we see that, you know, very clearly in the book of Acts, that they were just gathered together for prayer and God poured out his spirit and blew the roof off the entire show. And, oh, yeah. And yeah. it just changed everything. And from there, they went from Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost ends of the world with the, the message of the gospel. But had they just stayed in their little holy huddle, um, asking God to bless them where they were at, well, the gospel would have died with Jesus in Jerusalem. Um, and, and instead, it became a worldwide transforming movement that hasn't stopped. To this day, yeah, yep, two thousand years going strong. Amen. Well, Josh, <laughs> it's been a hell will not stand against it, right? Absolutely. Well, Josh, Amen. it's been a pleasure having you on the show to talk about your book. God is not on our side. If individuals wanted to contact you or find your book, how can they do that? Yeah. So easiest place is the website. So www.godisnotonyourside.com. Um, there, uh, people can email me. Um, there's a link to the Twitter and Facebook page. I'm most active on Twitter. Um, and, um, there's also a blog there. Um, the whole idea of the book is to try to engage people in conversation on these topics. And so that's why there's a blog and other things as well. Um, I'd love to hear from people, love to hear their thoughts. Um, and, um, oh, I should also mention there is a book study. Um, so, so I published the book, um, at the same time I published a book study, um, really for the purpose, again, of just encouraging people to engage in conversation on these topics. So uh, it's a 16-week book study. It would work great as a Bible study and uh, for a church group, anything like that. And uh, yeah, yeah, I look forward. I, I hope to hope to hear from some people on the website. And, and the book's available paperback, hardback, and uh, digital on Amazon? Yes, yeah. Very yeah, good. Barnes & Noble, most, most, uh, most you know, online retailers. Very good. Well, Josh, again, thank you for coming on the show. Um, it's been a pleasure having you. God is not on our side by Joshua Opperman. You can find the book again on Amazon or go to the website, godisnotonyourside.com. Highly recommended. I think you'll find it a very good introspective sort of book to make you kind of think, well, you know, whose who's side am I really on in all this? Um, so everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com, episode 134, God is not on your side with Joshua Opperman. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Um, again, jimmystable.com, episode 134, if you want to go there to find uh, links to the show notes where you can get to the godisnotonyourside.com website, or you can you know just type it in your web browser. Uh, or if you go to jimmystable.com slash subscribe, you can continue to follow this podcast and all the different fun ways that you can find this podcast. Um, you can find it on Twitter. You can find it on Facebook with links. And if you've enjoyed this, you want to reach out to Josh, feel free to do so. Or you can email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com. Again, everybody, Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. Take care, everybody. God bless. Have a good one. That's all I have to say about that. That's the right on, man. You said it all.